Dominic Steele and managing change in the restart. And Peter Mayrick is back with us. And uh, we're talking about what's next and the process being used to manage change. And for many of us as senior leaders, there are massive change management issues ahead. Uh, before we come to Peter Mayrick, the pastor's heart, and look, we would like your support. Uh, you could share us on social media or tell another ministry leader who might benefit from this program about us. Uh, and look, we do want to ask for your help financially. Uh, if you could go to www.patreon.com slash the pastor's heart and help us out. I don't know, five, ten dollars a month. Uh, we do want to grow. We have a vision to grow, but we're not actually quite covering the costs of employing the little team who helped put this together. And so if you were able to help us out with that, then that would be great. Now, change management and lots of it ahead. There are some churches where it is relatively straightforward the way to go. There are some churches where actually you've got to stay where you are for quite a long time. And then there are some churches where actually we can do the restart and maybe even as early in Australian churches as next month, but it's going to require quite a lot of rejigging, quite a lot of change management, and there's a whole lot of opinions all around us. Peter Mayrick from the Centre for Ministry Development is with us, and thanks for coming in, Peter. Thanks for having me, Dominic. It's a pleasure to be here again. It, we were, it's only a month ago that we were sitting here, yeah. we just watched Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison's announcement, and we said, July... Yeah, And it's just happened so much faster than we expected. It's happened so fast. And to be honest, when we last met, I was selfishly disappointed that pr the Prime Minister was saying we're going to talk about opening because I felt like pastors needed to um, have a bit of time for reflection. I, I yeah. felt like it, it, when you think about change, um, Kirsty Bucknell, our org psych, psychologist, would correct me and say, you know, change and, and transition are two separate things. Mm -hmm. uh, change is the physical um, change. Transition is the emotional or psychological change. And I felt like just after Easter, Pastors hadn't transitioned emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, they'd changed with adrenaline and, and they'd done a fantastic job. Yep. But and people were tired. They just needed a chance to go, oh. <laughs> and, and thank you, Lord, we've done really well. Mm. Um, now, let me think about what we've done well. What do I need to thank you for? And how could we do it differently as we move forward? And what might we take forward? And then suddenly, bang, it's on again. <laughs> we're talking again. And actually, the... It's actually got more complex as we've oh. started to realise this next transition is going to be much harder than the last one. I, I absolutely, Dominic. And I think the reason why it's going to be so difficult is none of us know what the future will look like in the next six months. Mm -hmm. um, we can describe what we think the future will look like in two years. We, we, we just don't know what's going to happen the next six to 12 months and how fast and, and what's going to work and what's not going to work. And I think for many pastors, many ministers, that's disconcerting mm -hmm. because if you think about uh, pastors, typically uh, pastors like to know where they're going. Yep. They like to have confidence and have people think that they're confident about the plan and the plan is well thought through. And you and coach a number of pastors yeah. and say so you're talking to lots of people yeah. every week about this. What are guys saying? Guys are, guys are feeling the frustration of not knowing and not being able to say we're going to do this yeah. and we're going to do that and this will work. They're, they're actually, well is it 20? Oh it's 50. Um, cleaning. Oh, how, how would we do that? And I can't do that. I'm going to need people to do that. Um, I had a pastor just the other day, as I said to you on the phone, who um, 
allowed two of his growth groups to come into the church yep. and they were craving coming in and they hated it. <laughs> now, now that, <laughs> they, so that has surprised me. Um, I mean, you said yeah. that to me on, on the phone. Uh, our, pop, our experience here has been positive um, in, and, in that uh, since the uh, limit was raised to 50, mm. uh, I'm, I've been thinking... If we go to 100, in whatever format we go to 100 in 19th of July, the beginning of term three, um, I, I don't want that to be the first time our members come into the building. Do you know? And, no, and if, we can, if we can seed people coming into the building before then, uh, in one way or another, and just seeing that we've got good health and hygiene procedures, all those kind of things, and, that's a positive. And I think there's merit to that, Dominic. And for some people, that will work really well. And, and that's a, there's, there's credit to what you're doing. Yeah. But to be honest, you don't know. Just like th th this guy thought that these groups were going to enjoy it. They were groups who were meeting on Zoom. Look, one of the ladies in, in one of those groups was meeting on Zoom on the phone because she didn't have the internet. She wanted to go back to Zoom. It was such a letdown to be meeting in a growth group in a soci socially isolated fashion. Whereas other people, I'm sure, will love to be meeting yeah. physically. Well, and, we've left and the choice up to our group leaders and, and, sorry, up to the group leaders in consultation with their groups because, um, yeah. I mean, people will want to, people will have different health and safety, they'll, they'll, they'll have different anxiety levels uh, just about that whole thing. And hopefully they can read the group. But, but this is the thing, is we're, we're not on firm ground here yeah. and that is disconcerting for pastors. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the most valuable formats we've been finding is roundtable co conversations, mm -hmm. uh, Zoom clusters, our normal clusters, mm -hmm. because w what actually happens on those things is, is guys get to hear each other and hear that the guy across the table doesn't know the answer, but he's thinking about this. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, gee, it feels good because I, I don't know the answer either. Oh, there's another person who's wrestling with the same thing. It must be okay to not know. Now, I wanted to have this change management yeah. conversation with you. Um, and, and really, it was a friend of mine on Facebook in a minister's Facebook group yeah. who got me onto this. Because, And I'll just, I'll just read you his question that he posed on Facebook. Terrific. The changes we're entertaining at our church have significant impact and are sufficiently complex. We have two sites. One's not usable really with social distancing. Kids ministry and families will need to be split across different yeah. congregations. We've got reduced staff and we want to do the whole comeback well. And so what do I do? Help. And I think um, the answer is um, you do the best you can and you flex um, this is going to be hard. This next piece is going to be disconcerting because you can't plan and know what the response is going to mm -hmm. be. And we've talked a lot over the last few weeks um, with different people about going back to a new normal, um, using the opportunity for change Ch and things we, we like that. We talked about adaptive change. Yeah, we that's talked right. About, and taking us to a new place. But actually, and, and there are cultural issues we'll want to do. We'll yes, want to do are. adaptive change. There are some things we want to leave behind. Yep. But actually, there's, I think, um, there's just the question of can we get people back together? You know, and, there and, is. And some aren't going to be able to, but some are with a rejig. And, and this will take leadership. So um, in that Facebook post, I think um, the guy mentioned Cotter, mm -hmm. and I was really pleased to hear uh, Greg Lee talk on a, on a symposium recently. He said, just read Cotter. Go and, go and Google Cotter, K-O-T-T-E-R, yeah. 
and you'll work it out. Uh, John Cotter is the is the guru of change management. Um, he's not a Christian writer. Well, I don't know if he's a Christian, but he's not writing as a Christian. He's writing for business. He's writing for business. But in, in his uh, the way he encapsulates change management, I think is just very rational and pragmatic. There's eight steps. Um, there's eight steps. But I think if you, you go and look at it yeah. and, and think about what it would look like, put your theological lens on as you read it. Don't take your theological hat off. Yeah. Put it on and read it through that lens. But but he says some really helpful things. Um, above all, he says um, he starts with um, um, what we call the burning platform, getting people to want to change. Well, yeah, we're in a yeah, the place is on fire. We're, we're changing anyway, so we don't have that problem. His second step is, I think, the most important step, and it's often the step we don't do enough of in ministry. Yeah. He talks about getting a guiding coalition, and a guiding coalition is a group of people who can help you plan and map change, who can help you think about change. Now, this sort of change we're talking about is change that is very uncertain. If I take a step back, when we're talking about strategic planning, mm -hmm. my hate on strategic planning is a desk plan because planning is not a solo activity. Planning is a team sport. Mm -hmm. Planning needs to involve others and involve others' brains and, and attitudes. In this particular t uh, time frame, you must have other heads around the table because no matter how intelligent you are, you don't know the whole picture. Mm -hmm. um, and so a guiding coalition is the opportunity to bring people around a table, around a Zoom platform, whatever it might be, to talk about what might happen and to discuss and agree and, and, and think about piloting or trialling or experimenting. But you need to have the different voices. And, and, and folks, please don't make your guiding coalition your ministry team. Bring onto your guiding coalition people who understand the context, who understand the people. Um, some of your key lay leaders, some of your, your lay, key lay influences. How big should the guiding coalition uh, be? Look, if you've gone to eight, you're probably um, getting towards, um, you're fine. If you get to 15, it's too big. But just a few heads is fine. Four to eight is, is a good number. Um, enough that you can get a sense. But I like eight, and the reason why I like eight, because the benefit of a guiding coalition is not just the multiple brains uh, because none of us have all the answers but it's the communication that okay. comes off those people. And so you've said don't just use the ministry team. What if you have eight on your ministry team? You've got to well, say some people go off it? I think so. I think that's a reasonable thing. You don't have to have everyone on the guiding coalition, but you may do. Um, th there's no hard rules. You need to, we need to be smart with this. Mm -hmm. But what I am trying to say is get some of those key influences on, the t on that team mm -hmm. because they can understand what's going on out there. They understand outside of the ministry bubble, which mm -hmm. none of us would, would um, sort of admit that we're in, but, but, but we are and, and um, they can represent. But importantly, the other benefit of the guiding coalition principle is that as we communicate, if these people are influencers, they get to um, be part of the communication, the informal communication, or, or the formal communication, because they get to say, yeah, yeah, we so thought about track, that. once you've worked it out, they'll be yeah. useful in that area. Or, but, uh, but they'll have high buy-in because they're... Yeah, or while we're collecting ideas, you see, this is going to be um, enormous transition, um, trying things out and, and things like that. So the first thing is guiding coalition. The second, I think, most important principle, and, and I'm leaning on Cotter here, but it's bigger than Cotter, um, is we must, his third principle is know what the vision is, know what the direction is. 
And so here... So, and you're saying that's third, not second? Well, well the second is the guiding coalition. Yeah, well, so, so, but you're, you're actually saying you've got to bring the people together in order to come up with the vision. Correct, because they, they, it may well be that the vision is cast and set, but that guiding coalition needs to be able to um, respond to that and speak to that. So they need to be in set. They need to be set. The, the, then when we talk about the vision, we need to be able to give clarity of the future. Now, I was with a guy this afternoon, and I love the fact that he could explain to me not where we're going to be in three months or six months because he doesn't know that. Mm -hmm. But he can tell me where he thinks they'll be in two years or three years and where they're working towards. He can tell me that the railway tracks, I like the, word, the term railway tracks because you've got to travel the train down the railway tracks, mm -hmm. it's not a road, mm -hmm. are the mission of Jesus Christ. Yep. So the railway tracks remain the same, the long-term vision remains the same, but the short-term vision, we just don't know what it will be. Yeah. So we, we, are, we are able to say, we know we're going there. The, future, the, the near future, we think we're going to want to do this. But we're ready for the fact that next week, Pres Prime Minister Morrison might say, we can have 100. Mm -hmm. Or we, we, we might have an outbreak and suddenly we're closing again. Um, yeah. and, and this is where we need to be um, able to adapt and move. Um, Cotter then talks about that vision being essential and, and, and then I want to labour the point, the vision, the key thing that goes beside it is being able to communicate that. And so in the communication process I would encourage people to know we are thinking, we are considering, we are, please don't give the impression you know. Because you don't because know. You don't know. <laughs> you, you, and, that's, and that's hard for many people because yeah. they think that people want them to um, say, the we, we yeah. know, yeah. we know. Yeah. Well, you don't know. Um, remind people that we're trusting in the Lord. Remind people that the, the railway tracks, the mission is unchanged. Remind people of where we want to go. But bring people along for the ride because that's what leadership is. Leadership is about followership. Christian leadership is about followership of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you think about Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we want to bring people on the journey in a way that matures the disciples. So the communication of where we're going and that we're going down the train tracks is essential. As we explore the next six months, this is where Cotter would talk about um, um, uh, empowering people to act. But before we get to think about the next six months, I mean, a lot of us have got to make decisions in the next six weeks. Yes. Um, in that, for a lot of us, um, uh, the morning congregation is too big, it's got to split into two. If it's going to happen this... I mean, if we're right in thinking that stage three is going to go for six months and we're in a church that we could in some way do something this side of Christmas... Yeah then we're going to have to make decisions in the next six weeks yes, and, we are. and start acting on them to bring them about in the next six weeks. So don't give me six months. <laughs> yeah. no, okay, so six weeks. So you have a guiding coalition, which is a group of people who can help you think about the decisions. Yep. You have to make decisions. We learn a lot from the IT industry and the tech industry then in, in the next six weeks when we're talking about making decisions in high flux environments, yep. high change. What they do is, we, so we talk about making pilots mm -hmm. and trials in, 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 in our world. Yep. And really what we mean is we're going to do something, but we use the word pilot or trial because we want to have an escape clause if it goes south. Yep. They talk about experiments. 
and an experiment has an each-way bet of going forward or not going forward. So, for example, we're going to let that group meet in the church mm -hmm. as an experiment. Mm -hmm. Don't have to commit to it and say people can meet in the church, but we're going to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. um, you might say suck it and see is Australian language. Mm -hmm. um, I would commend that to people. Um, suck it and see a few times. Create hypotheses. Maybe we could do this. So, and actually, it is a great time for experiments oh, at the moment. Cause, 100%. Because really, if it goes wrong, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. And you didn't know the outcome. Yeah. So it's not like you can plan to the nth degree yeah. and make sure, you know. You, we're going to try it and see how it goes. Now, it's, it would seem to me that one of the most difficult ministries has been youth. Mm -hmm. And so that would be a good area to maybe bring a few people around the table and say, right, there's four of us here. Let's come up with four experiments we could try or eight experiments that we could try with youth. Now, let's commit to two of them or three of them or, or you know, yeah. and give it a go. And, and let the congregation know, we don't know, but we're going to try a few things mm -hmm. and bring people for, along for a ride. And the congregation will give you lots of grace, I expect, for trying. Mm -hmm. As long as they know we're going down the tram tracks, we're going yeah. down the railway tracks and the mission hasn't changed. Um, and that's important. Um, one of his next ones is just empowering others. Yeah. How does that yeah. play, out, play out in the next six weeks? Well, I, I think this plays out by um, enabling others to act is the language of another leadership guru, is, is giving people the, the, the ability to take the experiments forward, giving people the, 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 the faith to do mm -hmm. things. Um, don't hold it close and um, give people the resource they might need to do it. Um, give them the, give them the, the, the guidelines. Mm -hmm. You know, if you use the building, you've got to do this. Here are the guidelines. Um, but give I mean, people and, a go. I mean, you walk over there and you'll be able to see it some couches set up for a community yeah. group tonight and there's a sticker on the table in the middle which says here's how to clean it that's, <laughs> and that's it so empower means trust yeah and, and look trust is foundational to any team right yep. it's the it's the, the first level there mm -hmm. um, of team working together um, empower it means I'm going to trust you to give it a go it doesn't mean that we're going to do it forever because this might be an experiment. Yeah. I'm going to trust you to give it a go and we're going to reassess it in a week or after this meeting or in two weeks or three weeks mm -hmm. or four weeks. Um, as time goes on, some of these things will stick and you'll say, that was good, let's keep going. And leadership will look like, okay, let's keep going on that. How could we tweak it? How could we make it better? Mm -hmm. Which comes up in Cotter's list probably about seven, I think, six or mm -hmm. seven. Um, this idea of iteration, of, of adding to and purifying before you make it part of your culture. Mm -hmm. But oh, I think this is a great time to learn about experimentation. Mm -hmm. Then um, And trust. Building momentum? Um, building momentum is about um, celebrating the wins. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that, that we could be much better at this. I think that we could be so much better at thanking people for the work that has been done. Um, I just met with a pastor just then and said, have you thought about um, giving your staff $200 to take their, their spouse out for dinner? Why wouldn't you do it? Most of the congregation don't appreciate how hard ministry staff have been working. Um, celebrating small wins is about making a mark. Now, a small win, by the way, is an experiment that failed. We tried it. We now know that that's not what we're going to do. Thank you so much for doing that, Bob. Well done. Um, so creating momentum is about creating the story and celebrating what we've done.
creating the momentum is about acknowledging um, that we're moving forward. Can I just ask you on the, the $200 yeah. staff? Um, uh, the Premier of New South Wales says no pay rises for public servants. Do you know? Yes. Um, uh, the uh, the the, um, uh, the Parliament threw it out. Have they? I, yeah. I hadn't. I know. Okay. Um, she said no pay rises for public servants. Uh, lots of the, the, the members of the church have had pay cuts. Um, uh, the optics of doing better, what um, the church has had a 30% drop in income based on the previous um, uh, 12 months ago, and uh, to improve the benefits for the staff team, do you want to just kind of... I think, I think saying thank you is something we should be better at. Uh -huh. I, I think that giving people thank you gifts, um, giving pe people thank you um, in a, as, a, as a partnership in marriage, I think they're, they're good things. Mm -hmm. And now is the time to do it because people are digging deep into their wells of energy. Mm -hmm. um, congregations need to understand how deep that well has gone mm -hmm. and, how, and how tired people are. And so leaders need to recognise the need to recognise not just small wins, but the efforts of people. Mm -hmm. Now that can go south and be done poorly. So you're on a um, parish council, is that the kind of thing? Uh, I'm not on a parish council, but yes, I would, I would encourage it. If someone raised it for me, I would say 100% every day. Uh, in fact, I dig into my wallet and say, um, "Oh, don't give it to go your for church. it." Yeah. <laughs> because um, I come from a culture in business, which is not the same in every business, but you need to recognise um, response, recognise, and so if you do the delegation training or the coaching training with us, you hear the language of um, of not only shared expectations and evaluation, but consequence management. Mm -hmm. And consequence management means the consequence of going beyond the call of duty means that you, you deserve to be thanked. You don't expect thanks because we do it for the Lord. I'm reading 1, one Thessalonians, mm -hmm. we're reading at church at the moment. It's quite clear, Paul didn't do it for his own gain. But that's when thanks lands, is when it, it's not expected. It doesn't, I, I don't feel as if I'm entitled to it. But when you thank me, I really appreciate it and it lands. Our motivation of our people is so important. We, mm. we need to express gratitude. So momentum is about small wins and momentum for people might be about acknowledging them and thanking them. And there are different ways we can thank people. So I've gone to an extraordinary one that is out of the box, but I think these are extraordinary times. Mm -hmm. And people are giving an extraordinary amount of effort. Yeah. And some people will be looking at this and saying, oh man, you can do that. You're up in a parish in the North Shore of Sydney. Yeah, I can. But um, a handwritten note mm -hmm. is an extraordinary way of saying thanks, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. That might be the way someone does it. Um, but uh, anybody who's a layperson watching this, let me encourage you. <laughs> Write a handwritten note to your ministry team saying thank you for the work they've done. Mm. Um, what kind of new culture might we see down the track? 
Gee, that's a tough question. New culture. What are you thinking of, Dominic, as you, as you ask that no, question? I'm just reading the next one and Cotter's oh, steps to change. That. Yeah, <laughs> OK. So the new culture. So what he's talking about... I mean, you've gone through the other yeah, seven. Yeah. I just fouled up the eighth well, one. <laughs> well, I just went so quickly through them. You didn't catch me. Yeah. Um, the eighth one is about embodying it in the culture and making it um, encultured in, in into the organisation. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, we've gone through setting the vision. Uh, we, we're, we're talking about um, communicating and, and implementing it. Um, and recognising it. Now we're talking about embodying the culture. What that means is making it an expectation that that will continue, making it part of the language that we do those things, making it part of the norm. Um, if you think about culture, the definition of culture is it's the way we do things around mm. here. So embodying it in the culture is making it something we regularly follow up on, we regularly assess, we, we look for. It seems to me that... Um one of the things that's going to happen almost inevitably is small is going to be the new black. Do you know? Yeah. In, in that um, if the government says you can only in have the 100 term, yeah. for six months, yes. then you can only have 100 for yeah. six months. And it's going to be worth having 100 for six months because that's better than none for six months. Um, but uh, we, we do that... And if we have the view of two years, we want that to turn into a viable congregation in two years' time. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and so it might start smaller than we'd hoped for, yes. but it's actually going to be viable. What, what are the things in that small that are going to help you, to, that you want to retain as you go forward or build your missional profile? So, for example, small might help you to um, encourage the saints to care for each other. Mm -hmm. If you think about our church, we, for a long time we've asked the, the, the saints to rely on clergy to mm. support them, right? Small means we, we've asked, and this is one of the things we've done, is we've asked the lay people to care a lot for each other. Mm -hmm. So the embodiment of culture might say, how can we acknowledge that? How can we bring that explicitly to the surface to say, hey, that's good, whilst acknowledging we want that to be part of the mm. future um, organisation, the future church. Mm. That's good. Mm. Um, and so culture, embodying the culture means including it in sermons or including in what we recognise. Um, just capturing it within the way we do things. Mm. Peter Marrick, thanks so much for coming in this afternoon. Thank you, Dominic. My guest on The Pastor's Heart, Peter Marrick from the Centre for Ministry Development from Sydney's Moore College. And uh, you've been with us and we'll be back next Tuesday afternoon. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.